We're going to finish up the book today. We're going to see the main thing. We're going to see the point that Solomon has been driving at this whole book. We're going to see him point that out and make his final plea, his final application, um, his final um, statement of what he's been trying to accomplish. So we'll read from verse 9 to the end of the chapter. And then we'll look at a very, very important section of Scripture. I would just say pray for me as I preach this. I'm, I'm feeling the weight. This might be one of the most important things I've ever tried to communicate. So, may God be with us and bless us. But this is His Word. As Solomon concludes the book of Ecclesiastes, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. We have a lot of those. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and of much study is a wearying to the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or bad. Thus far God's word. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy. Help me to preach your word this morning. Help me to get out of the way. May your truth, may your word run and be glorified. Give us hearts that love it and desire to hear it, not just to hear it, but to put it into practice. I pray for every heart listening to this message, be it through the, through the live stream, be it in the building or in the, uh, in the outside here, be it a recording later, that they would listen hard to you. Lord, those who don't know you, call them to repentance and faith. Plant seeds of the gospel. Those of us who know you, recalibrate us. Set our hearts aflame for your glory. Do a mighty work, Lord, in me and through me. Do a mighty work in us as your word goes forth. Make disciples, Lord. So we pray for your blessing on the preaching and the hearing of this, your word. And we ask it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all. 
who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Y'all all know where that came from. I couldn't find an appropriate song, so I went to a hymn because I want to highlight, highlight for you what his closing message in is. And Solomon's closing message is trust and obey. That's what he's telling us. That is what makes us who we should be. That is what fulfills us. That is what, when we embrace what we were created for, when we trust God and obey. This whole book boils down to a fearful obedience, a fearful grace-fueled obedience. So we want to dig into this, these verses 13 and 14 as we end our study. Long ago, church father Augustine said this, O God, grant what you command and command what you desire. And we're going to kind of use that in a couple of heads as we seek to break out what Solomon is trying to teach us this morning. All through this book, he's been saying vanity, 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 vanity. He's been shaking us, trying to get us to realize who we are and where we live, that this is a fallen world. Under the sun is much frustration. There's nothing here that will last. Everything here will let you down. There's nothing here that can sustain your joy. This is not your home. So look above the sun, above the struggle and the death and the frustration and the injustice. Look above the sun for meaning to the Lord who reigns and who is on the throne. Fear Him, love Him, trust Him, honor Him. Don't try to find your home here, your joy, your peace here. Realize where you live. Realize why you were created. And look above the sun and the day. Trust and obey. For my main point, I've reshaped the hymn a little bit because I want you to see the importance of what I'm about to try to say. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be in Jesus but to trust and obey. Yes, happiness comes from a right relationship, joy. You know, tears, all of the elements of life. But that deep-seated contentment and joy. Yes, happy if you rightly interpret it. But my point is what Solomon is telling us is what Jesus told us. Is that... The true Christian life is one of trusting and obeying, not just trusting. I mean, what did Jesus... I'll let you go read this later, and it's not in my notes, but if you go read Matthew chapter 7 and you come down to, I think, verse 21, you have Jesus saying that many are going to appear before the judgment seat thinking they have a relationship with Him. It doesn't say a few. It says many are going to come before him at the judgment and say, did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And what Jesus is going to say to them is, depart from me. I never knew you. 
And he gives the reason or the thing that shows that he never knew them. And basically he says, because lawlessness is what characterized your life. A disregard for the commandments shows that you don't know the Lord who is the Savior. Christ said, be warned. And Solomon is saying, be warned. Judgment is coming. We will all stand before the Lord. We will give an account. And I don't want me and I don't want you to be one who stands before the Lord and hears Him say, depart from me. I never knew you because your life was characterized by lawlessness. A breaking of my commands. That's what Jesus said about many who will stand before Him at the judgment. And that's what Solomon is warning this morning when he brings us to the end of the matter. He talks about other things that he had worked on in the Proverbs and in verses 9 and 10 and how he sought to find words of delight. He talks about the, the words of the wise being from one shepherd. He's saying this is God's word. And, and God's word is like goads. Which what, what was a goad? It was used to keep the oxen in the right path. Right? Keep them plowing straight. So the word is like a goad in that it prods us to keep us in the right way in Jesus. And it's like nails that nail things down firmly. And sometimes to nail things down firmly, it requires some study. And most people are not willing to put in the hard work to do that. Verse 12. Yes, there's weariness, but a lot of weariness is necessary in study. But I'm ending this morning with the, the main point in verses 13 and 14. To trust and obey, there's no other way to be in Jesus than to trust and obey. So first I want to look at the problem of our purpose. I'm going to, I'm going to with Solomon, state our purpose. Then I'm going to talk about the problem of our purpose and then the promise of our purpose. So yes, there will be promise in here. But beloved, we have to know and be familiar with the bad news for the good news to make sense. And there's probably somebody sitting in this building who, uh, if without a radical change in their life, is going to hear Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. And there's definitely somebody listening to me, if you include all of the building and outside, and especially that live stream, you don't know who's watching. But one of the problems in the church today is the easy believism and the cheap grace that's been preached and the decisional regeneration that have brought people to pray a prayer and walk an aisle who've never known the Lord. And that's why the church is so sick today because it's filled with a lot of people who've made professions but they don't know the Lord. So please don't disregard me this morning. Please listen to what I'm saying. I'm fighting for your soul, and I want you to be in the truth and ready for the judgment that is coming. But first we want to talk about the problem of our purpose from this text. Look back in verses 13 and 14, I'll read it again. The end of the matter. Solomon says, this is what I'm driving at. This is the point. This is the goal of what I've been driving at. All has been heard. I've told you enough about the vanities I'm ending, we're landing the plane on the runway of the main point. What is that, Solomon? Now watch this. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man or mankind there. Because God will bring every deed into judgment 
with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What is he challenging us to this morning? Well, first of all, he's saying to command is God's right as a creator. The second part of Augustine's quote was command what you desire. Command what is in line with who you are. Command what is holy and righteous and just because you are holy and righteous and just. And it is God's right as the Creator to command His creation. Remember in verse 1 of chapter 12, remember your Creator. God defines our purpose. You are here because He knit you together in your mother's womb. And you have a responsibility to remember Him and to submit to Him. Remember your Creator. Fear your God. See, Solomon tells us why we were created. And we've talked about this before. We were created for God's glory. And the cool thing about it is everything that lines up with His glory, He will work together for our good. So we can trust Him. But he says, this is why you're created. This is how, where you find wholeness. This is what you should do in response to everything I have said. Fear God and keep His commandments because judgment's coming. In other words, live here in light of eternity. That's how you prepare. We've been given life by our Creator. And we should heed the fact of coming judgment and seek to love Him by obeying His commandments. But look at His statement of our duty. It's twofold. First, fear God. And we've talked some about fearing God, and you see that there's, there's sort of this full-orbed picture of fearing God. It's kind of like a diamond with many facets. To reverence Him and delight in Him and love Him and seek Him and trust Him, but at bottom it's to trust Him. What does it mean to fear God? It means to have faith in Him. The kind of faith that the Bible describes that we should have in Him. And maybe this will help you sort of tie a bow on the fear of the Lord. This quote by Dr. Shaw near the end of his commentary, he says this, The fear of God in the Old Testament is really the equivalent of faith in the New Testament. Do you want to know what it means to fear God? It's to have faith in it's a, it's a response of love and trust and dedication to His grace. And he said this again, It is the knowledgeable faith of the man who has studied his God and knows who he is. To know God as He has revealed Himself, as our Creator, our Sustainer, our sovereign Lord, the one who is on the throne accomplishing all of His purpose, the one whose kingdom smashes all other kingdoms, the one whose glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Fear God. Trust God. Depend upon Him. Believe Him. Delight in Him. This is the kernel of the book. Fear Him.
trust Him. Love Him. Focus on Him. Rise above the sun to look at your Creator and remember Him and be in dependence upon Him. And that will prepare you to live well here under the sun. Solomon says, The whole matter has been said. Fear God, your Creator. How do I know that I fear Him? Is there a way to tell that I fear God? Yes, look at the word. Fear God and keep His commandments. The true fear of God is manifested in the life by a growing joyful obedience. Not a grudging obedience, not a sadness that we've been caught, not a wishing we didn't have to do it, not loving the other things more, but just kind of going through the motions on this. A loving devotion to God. Did you catch what Mike read in Psalm 112.1? What one of the things that is true of the one who fears the Lord? Look at it again. Blessed is the man, woman, boy or girl. Blessed is the person who fears the Lord. Now this is in apposition. In other words, this is with that comma, he's explaining what he means by what he just said. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. What do you mean, psalmist? Who greatly delights. In His commandments. This is one of the things it means to fear the Lord. To greatly delight in His commandments. And what we delight in, we pursue. And so there's evidence of that in our lives. You know, do you fear the Lord? Do you trust Him? Is He your delight? Is He your purpose? Is He your focus? see your life if so then you delight in his commandments and it will be evidenced in your life bottom line if we trust him we will obey him why does that seem like such a radical call All else is vanity, but this is not. This is the conclusion. This is where you can find wholeness. This is where you can find truth. When it says this is the whole duty of man, this is the whole of man. This is why man was created to fear God and keep His commandments. This is where Adam failed. He stopped fearing the Lord and trusting the Lord and started trusting himself and trusting the evil one. And therefore he rebelled against God. And we have followed in His wake. So that's our rebellion. Our purpose, our rebellion. This is is the problem of our purpose. See, our purpose is to fear God and keep His commandments. And none of us have done that. None of us have done that in and of ourselves. We were born sinners. We fell in Adam And when Adam stopped trusting God and started trusting himself and rebelled against God, we've all followed in his wake, doing what is right in our own eyes and breaking God's commandments when it disagrees with what's right in our own eyes. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. How many of us? 
All we, everybody, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I'll read the rest of that in a minute. And that's not just the Jews. In Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have failed to fear God and keep His commandments. We have broken His commandments in thought, word, and deed. Why? Because we didn't love them. We didn't delight in them. We didn't fear God. We loved ourselves. We wanted to call our own shots. We wanted to go our own way. And that's following Satan, not Jesus. Follow your heart. It's horrible advice. So see, the bad news, the sad news is that we've all rebelled against our Creator and His purpose for us. We've sinned against Him and blamed Him from the trouble that came from it. Are you blaming God for the hardship in your life? Now, no, it's not all due to your personal sin, but it is due to sin being in the creation. This is a fallen world. We all go through common miseries. We all have struggles, and some of us struggle deeply. Read Job. What was the end of his book? You've you've probably not suffered like Job. In the end of his book, he put his hand over his mouth and trusted in the God who had revealed himself to him. I'm not making little of our troubles, but some of us try to use our troubles as a club against God. And we all have far more than we deserve to have. But as a a unit, as a people, Jew and Gentile, as the world, we've all rebelled against our Creator and failed to fear Him and keep His commandments. And we face His judgment. We've not trusted and obey, so we've not ready for His judgment. Do you feel the weight of that? Has God brought you to the place where you feel the weight of that? That you realized you have worshipped false gods? In fact, you've been your own God, that you've not worshipped God His way, that you've dishonored His name and His day, that in our hearts we've broken His his commandments in thought, word, and deed. Thou shalt not murder goes all the way to the heart. Even if we're angry with our brother, we've committed murder in our hearts. Coveting that dig. Have you come to the place? Has he shown you? You've broken his law. You've not feared him. You've not kept his commandments. You're, You're under condemnation for that justly because he is holy and we are not and sin deserves judgment. See, that's the bad news. None of us have done this. None of us has kept this. And none of us can clean it up. We can't fix it. We can't wipe away all the sin we've committed even if we could and did start and turn in a different direction and at least externally do differently today. We have a heart problem. We have a record problem. We can't fix it. You can't fix your situation by being good or trying to be good but God. See, the problem of our purpose is that none of us have embraced it from the womb. But the promise of our purpose is highlighted by the second part of Augustine's quote. Augustine, and this got him in big trouble. You know, a whole Pelagian controversy. And you can go read about that later. That's not my sermon. Command what you will. Nobody has a problem with that. Grant what you command. What's the implication? We don't have in ourselves the, what's necessary to walk out His command so He has to grant it. In other words, we need grace. We can't be saved by 
cleaning it up by doing the best we can. We don't do our best and He does the rest. We are condemned and we need a Savior. And He has provided one. Christ died for our condemnation. He took our penalty upon Himself. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. And He was buried and He was raised the third day, victorious over death, proving the gospel is true. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and raised the third day. And He offers salvation to you as a free gift. But salvation is a big thing. It's not a small thing. Because we need a new heart. We've been, we, we're born with a stony heart. We need a responsive heart to God. We need a new heart. We need to do a heart plan, transplant. Have you ever tried to do a heart transplant on yourself? Don't. You can't. It's meant to bring us to utter frustration and say, I can't fix this. Like the publican who wouldn't even look up to heaven. God have mercy on me, a sinner. He felt the weight of his sin. Augustine says, God, if I have any hope, you have to grant what you command. You have to reconcile me. You have to save me. See, God has commanded well and all His commands are righteous and just and we've shown our true nature in our rebellion and we need a new heart so that we can have a new life. God must grant what, we, what He has commanded if we are to be saved. Look at the rest of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Now watch this fly off the page. And the Lord has laid on Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Everyone given to Him before the foundation of the world. Everyone He came to save. He bore our iniquity. He paid the penalty we deserve to pay. Christ told His disciples He was going to that cross. And they should have known, as John said, the Lamb of God. And they should have known from the Old Testament that there was, yes, a conquering king coming, but there was a suffering servant coming first. And that the very Son of God would take on a human nature, be born in a manger, and live in fulfillment of His own law. Why did He do that? Because we had broken it. So He was providing a righteousness that He would give to us. And then He died to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. Justice was satisfied because the God-man drank that cup took our condemnation, took our hell upon himself and said it is finished before he left the cross. He went through the grave conquering death and came out victorious. In Jesus Christ, we get everything we need to adopt our new purpose or actually our old purpose, our purpose. What is our purpose? Why were we created? To glorify God. What does that mean? To fear him and keep his commandments. Jesus died for a full, not just a free salvation, but a full and free salvation. And now being in Him. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? Have you received Him as your Savior? Are you trusting that He paid the penalty for your sin, that He rose for your justification? Do you even know what that means? Come on, children of God, wake up. Gain a little weariness from study. Justification is a biblical word. I need you to know what that means. 
But in Christ, we have forgiveness. We have righteousness. We have a new heart. We have power. The same power at work in us that raised Him from the dead. When we come to Christ in salvation, if, it, if, we, if God has worked repentance and faith in our heart, if He's at work in us so that we have repented, we have turned from serving self and sin to serving Christ and receiving Him as our Lord and Savior, if that's true of us, we're a new creation. We have a fresh start. We have everything we need for life and godliness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Don't ever say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace because you're not just a sinner saved by grace. If you're trusting in Christ, you are and were a sinner who has been saved by grace. But you are far more than that. You're a new creation. You're forgiven. You're clothed in His righteousness, adopted into His family. You're empowered. You have the Holy Spirit and the very Word of God. Now, by God's grace, we can adopt our purpose because Christ has purchased a full and free salvation for us. Salvation, big picture, contains within that circle justification, sanctification, and glorification. And glorification is the finishing of the work. When we are completely set free, but we need to understand that there's more to salvation than justification. And a great segment of the church pretty recently and some up until this point only want to live in the truth of justification. It's all we ever talk about is justification. It's glorious doctrine. It's a wonderful doctrine and we need to know it. But it's not all of salvation. So what is justification? Some of you might be saying, I wish you weren't using all these big words. I try not to without explaining them, but I'm going to use the catechism to explain them so that you'll go memorize the definition. But look at this in question 33. What is justification? And remember, this is just teaching what the Bible teaches about this topic. And the Bible uses the word justification, Romans 3, 4, other places. It says this, what is justification? This is where we like to dwell and celebrate. And we need to dwell and celebrate here. But then we need to walk in this. Justification, watch it, is an act of God's free grace. It's what He works in us. He requires nothing of us. And He grants what He's commanded, which is repentance and faith. He, 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 his Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, brings spiritual life, true life. The effectual call in the midst of the general call of the gospel, the Spirit's at work, bringing people to faith in Jesus. And justifying them, what does that mean? Declaring them righteous on the basis of Jesus. Here's the definition. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins. Praise God. How many of our sins? All. If He doesn't, pa if he doesn't pardon them all, you will be condemned. Even the smallest sin, if there's such a thing, deserves condemnation. Justification is an act of God's free grace where He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. 
So yes, I, salvation is by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And justification is free to us because it was so costly to Him that not only does He cleanse our record of our sin, but He grants us Christ's record of righteousness. We are both cleansed from our sin and clothed in Christ's righteousness if we've been justified. That is part of salvation. Uh, Baptist preaching, that's what we're talking about, getting saved. Right? That's what they're talking about. But there's more to salvation than that, just like Solomon didn't just stop by saying, fear God. There's also sanctification or being delivered from sin's power and growing in grace. What is sanctification? Look at verse, not verse, question 35. Sanctification, again, a work of God's free grace. We're not earning salvation at either point, Right? But in sanctification, we have work to do. In justification, we didn't. Our acceptance is not based on anything we do, and we don't have any way, anything to offer and earn it. But we surely need to love God in response to what He's done for us, right? Some of you are glazing over. You need to re rededicate and listen to me now. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. And enabled, look, by who? God. Enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So if God's at work in us, He's not only brought us to faith in Jesus and justified us, declared us righteous, accepted us, adopted us, but He's also growing us in grace. He's also enabling us more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. More and more to kill sin in our life with the means of His gospel and His word. And see, this is where self-examination comes in. Are you growing in grace? Because if the Spirit's in you, you will be growing in grace. Are you more and more putting sin to death and living for righteousness? Do you trust Him and delight in Him and His commandments are your guide? God has granted what He has commanded by giving us new obedient hearts of faith. And true faith bears the fruit of growing obedience. Grace-fueled obedience. Listen to me. Grace-fueled obedience is the aim of the gospel. It's the aim of Christianity. What was the fall? But disobedience to God out of a lack of trust and love for Him. What is Jesus fixing? The fall. So the application of the gospel will be a love and trust of God that is manifest in Obeying Him. Grace-fueled obedience is the aim of the Christian faith, to trust and obey. Listen to me, those of you who are married and someday will be married. Accepting Christ with no intention to obey Him is like getting married with no intention to be faithful. Over and over again, the Scripture uses marriage as a picture of our relationship to Christ. Obviously, we see that in Ephesians. And it uses adultery as the picture of unfaithfulness to Christ. And so many of us want a ticket to heaven, but we don't want God messing in our business. We won't, we won't submit fully to Him through His Word. We still want to decide in our own heart what is right and what is wrong. Sure, we'll have some of it, but we won't have all of it. 
Solomon says, and this is the word of God, that this is the end of matter because judgment is coming. Fear God, trust Him, and keep His commandments. And someone might say, yeah, but that's Old Testament. We've been delivered from the law. We no longer have to worry about His commandments. Well, that's foolish talk. Because the moral law abides. And the New Testament teaches every one of the Ten Commandments again and applies it to the life. Look at this. We're going to study Romans. And Paul's going to say the exact same thing Solomon said. And in fact, the book of Romans is bookended by this kind of talk. Look with me at verse 1 through 5. five. This is, again, through whom we're talking about Jesus. We'll tell you more when we get to study in Romans. But look at this. Through Jesus, through him, we have Paul as an apostle. We have received grace and apostleship. Okay, Paul, what's your purpose? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The obedience that comes from faith. Obedience to what? Gut feelings and... No, to His Word, to His commandments. Obedience. But a grace-fueled obedience. A faith-fueled obedience. An obedience that is a return of thanksgiving and love to God for His grace in our lives. We have been loved first, so we love Him in return. What does that love look like? Well, look at the second bookend before I move on about that. Romans 16, 25 and 26. Now to him who is able, he's concluding here, to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that has been kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations. Keep with me. According to the command of the eternal God. For what purpose? Look, to bring about the obedience of faith. So in the very front of the book, in the very end of the book, he's saying the purpose of all of this is to bring about in God's children the obedience of faith. The obedience that is the product, byproduct of faith, of fearing the God, of God, like Solomon said. You know, James makes this clear. James is not telling us to be saved by what we do. He's helping us see the difference between a true faith and a false faith. Right? And he states that. There shouldn't be a lot of confusion in James. I know that there is. But in verse 26 it says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Faith apart from obedience is dead. Apart from me, I never knew you. Your life isn't characterized by obedience to my commands. Our obedience doesn't justify us. It doesn't justify us. Christ's obedience is what justifies us. But obedience is the necessary, the inevitable fruit on the tree of faith. And without it, if it's not there, the faith is not a real faith. It's not trust and feel good, although feeling good is nice and it comes. It's trust and obey. John says this, John, the apostle of love, the gentle guy, right? The one that's close to Jesus, the one Jesus loved. Look what John says, the apostle John, the apostle of love, 
Look what he says in 1 John 2, 3, and 4. You want to know if you know him. I love it when things are so plainly stated. This is how you know you know him, right? I love that. This, watch this. This is coming straight out of 1 John. And by this we know that we have come to know him, Jesus, if we keep his commandments. And they're not different commandments than the, not, the son's not against the father. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And you can get mad at me this morning, and you can chafe against this, and you can reject this, and you can go on living a sinful lifestyle thinking you have Jesus. And if you do, you will stand before him one day and hear him say, depart from me. I never knew you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. If you've been listening to Osteen for a long time, you might need to stop. Somebody needs to shake you like Solomon and say, listen to me. This is vital. This is important. If we know Jesus, our lives will bear testimony. If my life is bearing testimony to mostly sin, I don't know Him. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doings. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Right, but look at verse 10. Never read it out of context. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, for, for obedience. Yes, according to the Word of God, produced by the Spirit, in line with His commandments. It's what good works are. And Jesus was lovingly plain. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus? You don't understand the gospel if you don't love Jesus. His love for us is first. And seeing His love and the fact that He would live for us and die for us, that He would take hell for us on that cross. And He would be raised and is reigning for us, not to make everything work out so we're comfortable, but to get His gospel to the ends of the earth. And He's coming again someday. If the gospel don't make you love Jesus to such an extent that your life bears testimony to the fact that you're following Him, you don't know Him, you don't love Him, you don't fear Him. If you love me, and He'd say this with a scowl on His face, I'm convinced, just a speaking of truth. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you really get the gospel, you will love him. And true biblical love of God is keeping his commandments. That's what John says in 5.3. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, we delight in them and want to live in accord with them because we've been saved, not in order to be saved. If God's at work in you, he's growing you, deepening you in faith, in the fear of God, deepening you in keeping His commandments out of love for Him and delight in Him and delight in His Word. If your salvation doesn't include both justification and sanctification, you don't know Him. Heed the warning now before you stand before Him and hear Him say, I never knew you. But God works in those He's at work in to both fear Him and to keep His commandments. Cal and Dalich said this in their commentary, to hear the word with the purpose of obeying is the very soul of the worship of God. 
coming to hear the word with the full intention of repenting where necessary, coming with the intention of obeying it is the very heart of worship. Without that heart attitude, we're not worshiping. So Solomon's last shake, Solomon's hardest shake, Solomon maybe smacking us across the face to wake us up is saying, do you fear God? Is that manifest in your life? Are you keeping His commandments out of love for Him? Is your obedience an obedience that is a grace-fueled obedience? Not a legalistic obedience that's seeking to make yourself right with God, but a love of God who has loved you so in the Lord Jesus Christ. If God's at work in you, He will work in you faith, but He will also work in you obedience. Why? Because He will work in you a love for Him that exceeds your love for yourself so that you trust Him and obey Him. My application is simple this morning. Have you come to know Him? If you stood before Jesus, what would your plea be? I hope it wouldn't be all the stuff you've done for him. But that gratitude that he had brought you to conviction of your sin. And he had worked in you repentance and faith so that you had turned and trusted in him. And that your life bears the fruit of growing obedience to him out of joy because you love him. Have you embraced your purpose? to fear the Lord and keep His commandments because it hasn't changed. Have you embraced your purpose to trust and obey your Creator and Redeemer? That's a question only you can answer. But ask God to search your heart and confirm or deny whether you know Him so that you might repent if necessary and trust Him. Please listen to me. This is the most important plea you'll hear, especially if you don't know him, and especially if you think you know him, but you don't. Secondly, child of God, because I can make some true children of God question their salvation by preaching like this. Do you obey him perfectly? Now, don't use this as a crutch to justify sin, but do you obey him perfectly? Well, no, obviously not. We don't obey Him perfectly in thought, word, and deed. We will do that when we're glorified. But we're growing in it. Remember the question, we're being enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness because His Spirit's at work in us. But we don't obey Him perfectly yet. But my question is, do you want to? You know how you know you really want to? Because you grieve when you don't. You don't just justify it. You don't rationalize it. You confess it and grieve and cry out to the Lord when you don't. You confess it and grieve and confess it to those around you when you've sinned against them. You take it seriously, in other words. I know we don't obey perfectly. We are being sanctified and we've not been glorified yet. But are you growing in joyful obedience to Him? I mean, if you go read the book of 1 John, that's how He's going to test you. Are you growing in it? Are the fruits and evidences of faith there is there fruit of fear of the Lord in your life even the smallest child do you love Jesus do you seek to obey him you honor your mother and father in that 
Are you repenting when His Word points out sin? If you're stiff-arming Him all the time, you're not repenting. Lord, I'll give over some control to You, but not all of it. Lord, I'll, I'll give You some things, but not this. This is more precious to me than You are. We don't say that out loud, do we? Are you repenting when His Word points out sin? See, He grants both repentance and faith when He saves. He grants both a fear of Him and an obedience to Him. Do you love His commandments? Or are they burdensome to you? You must ask God if you know Him and have Him reveal that to you. You must know that the fruit of a true faith is growing obedience. But the answer is the same. For believer and unbeliever, grace, gospel. How do you respond to the gospel? Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins. He was raised for you. He's reigning for you and he's going to take you all the way home. He's been real with you. He said, in this world, you're going to have difficulty. You're going to have trouble, but I am for you. I am with you. Don't look at your life and see difficulty in it and think he's not with you. Gosh, you hadn't read the Bible. You haven't read church history. You haven't read the early church if that's what you're doing. But mire up in His grace. Christ died for our sins. Just stop and think about that. The very Son of God came to live for us, to die for us, to pay, to take my hell upon Himself. And He drank that cup dry so that I don't have to go there. And He offers to me Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Are you trusting Him? Because of His grace, repent and trust Him. Fear and obey Him. Let the, let the cross cause you to wholeheartedly embrace your purpose, which is to fear God and keep His commandments. Because judgment is coming. This is what Solomon's been driving toward the whole time. This is how he ends the plea, which this book is a plea. Stop living under the sun for this world, disregarding God. Start living above the sun by faith in Him. Fear Him and love Him and keep His commandments. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be in Jesus but to trust and obey. Here's how Dr. Shaw concluded his commentary right near the end. He says this, If we have learned the lessons that Solomon has laid before us, then we realize it is disobedience to the commands of God that enables us to live profitably in this ephemeral or passing world. Because, after all, we are answerable to God for everything. We are His creatures made for his glory. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, please help every one of us to examine ourselves. Paul said, examine yourselves to see you be in, if you be in the faith. That's a biblical thing to do, to go before you and say, search my heart, try me, know me, show me. If I'm not on the paths of righteousness, show me if I think I'm saved but I'm not. Show me if I've embraced 
an easy believism or a cheap grace. Show me, Lord, whether I know you or whether I don't. And help me to look to the cross and there see my Savior, whether I know you or don't, to be renewed in that first love, in that love for you, Lord Jesus. Help us to look to your cross and see you there, sacrificing yourself for us. Help us to look to that grave and see it empty. You have risen and are victorious. You are reigning and you're coming again someday. Grant in each one of our hearts a true faith that will be characterized by fear of God and a joyful, loving, devoted keeping of your commandments and growing in it. In other words, help us to love you because you have loved us. Save those who don't know you, Lord. Sanctify those who do. Help us to take your word seriously on a level we've none before. And Lord, I pray that none of us under the sound of my voice will have to hear you say, depart from me, I never knew you. But welcome to the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Save and sanctify your people. Work in us powerfully so that we will more evidence with our lives what we confess with our lips, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, we lay ourselves at your feet and trust you for your grace and mercy. In Christ's holy name, amen. Let's sing one more.